I asked, you delivered. I wanted to know these phrases in American culture that bother you. I will respond to a ton of those today. Uh, but first, I was on a panel that regarded anxiety and depression. We're going to start with that talk on today's Corey Act show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Truly, if you need a boost to your ego, and we, if you're listening to this with any regularity, you know that I don't need a boost to the ego. But if you ever need one, you toss out there, hey, I'm doing a show uh, on sayings that Americans say in the Western world, and I'd love to get some of the ones that uh, that annoy you when you get 50 comments, 50 responses of different sayings. At one, at one level, it's flattering that everyone was so helpful. On another level, it was very helpful because I didn't even have to do any real work on this show. Like You all did the work, and I am grateful for it. We'll get to that work in just a moment. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina, right on 123. By the way, I will be preaching Easter Sunday. If you are not going to be a part of some service somewhere, you are cordially invited to Beachwood Church. We'd love to have you there. For Easter, we start there at 1030 and I guess some of you call it Resurrection Sunday. That's typically what I call it as well. But whatever you are inclined to give the name, whatever name you are inclined to give today, that's where I'll be that 1030 Sunday morning every Sunday for Beachwood Church. All right, here we go. I'm essentially letting you guys run the show because out there on social media, I had, uh, I put out that I was speaking on a panel discussion at a youth event regarding anxiety, depression, uh, and how to just, how to reconcile trouble and turmoil in life with the idea of an ever-present God. And I got a lot of response to that. A lot of people who wanted to know, uh, but when I say a lot, every time I do that, I always feel like I'm over-aggrandizing myself by a lot. I mean, a lot by my standards, by a small radio host who might get a thousand people to listen to an episode kind of guy. By my standard, a big response. Of people who wanted to know, are you recording that? I'd love to hear it. And it does occur to me that this is a underserviced topic in radio, definitely, in podcasting, certainly, but certainly from a Christian perspective, talking through these disorders, these ailments, these maladies, these emotional maladies, and they need to be talked about. And so I want to give you a thumbnail sketch of what we talked about in that panel discussion because there was some interest in it. And if you ever shared the show with somebody, maybe you share with them this first segment where we are just going to talk about the reality of suffering in this world and even specific to anxiety and depression and how to process some of that. So here we go. I went into that panel really prepared to talk about depression and anxiety specifically. These uh, these conditions that are listed in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, as actual emotional disorders that people medicate for. I went in very prepared for that. And what I I found quickly was the discussion was more about just general suffering. How do we reconcile our emotional hurt and turmoil with the idea of an ever-present God? Here is my outline of what we discussed. Number one, we just have to first recognize that it's going to happen that there's just this this very healthy thing to do to turn off the voices 
that sometimes come out of Christian media that if you love Jesus well enough, your life will be blessed. The actual narrative of Scripture would say, you can love Jesus really well and bad stuff will happen to you. Ask Job. You can ask Paul about that. You can ask Ruth about that. Uh, You can ask very faithful people in the Bible. Ask Moses about that. And some bad stuff befalls them. Specific to Paul, and I'm only being slightly comical here, after incredible ministry that he was a part of, he's a, he's just not on a boat. He's on a boat as a prisoner, on a as a prisoner on a boat that gets into a storm, crashes, floats to shore. It's cold. It's wet. It's rainy. They decide to build a fire, and while he is helpfully gathering wood for the fire, he's bitten by a snake. At that point, I'm done. All right, I'm finished. I'm not doing this anymore. And this is a very faithful servant to the to the gospel. And so the, the first thing on all suffering and all depression and all anxiety is to not be surprised by it, to recognize it's coming. That if you're not in a season of depression, anxiety, emotional turmoil right now, it's coming soon. And if you're not in one right now, you might say, well, no, it's not coming soon. I just got out of one. But that's the the nature of life. You're either going into a trying time, you just came out of a trying time, or you're in the centerpiece of a really trying time. So number one, just recognize it's going to be hard. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. So don't be surprised by it. Moreover, it's important to recognize that before the trial comes. It's a theme I've given you on the show many times, that if you will think about suffering before it happens, then you're giving yourself a chance. You're giving yourself a chance to process it better when you recognize before it happens that it's going to be a reality. But if you try to process suffering and emotional turmoil in the middle of it and you've not previously thought about it, you're going to have a lot of trouble because we tend to get very inwardly focused and it's hard to get any perspective on things. So number one, just recognize there is the reality of suffering. It's not necessarily anything wrong that you did. Like specifically in the Bible, People suffer all the time is not a direct cause of something they did. This is this was God's good purpose. He, uh, I think I've been on both sides of that in my own life. I think something was hard for me, but it helped someone else. And equally, I think I've been hard on some people. Something I have done has hurt them, but it was for God used it for their betterment. This goes to Joseph. In Exodus, oh, sorry, no, Genesis. That starts in Genesis 38, I believe, all the way through the end, where he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, you did mean for evil to sell me into slavery. You meant for evil to tell my dad I was dead. You meant all these things for evil. God used them for good, because now here I am with the wisdom of God and the abilities that he's given me to serve as a rescue for the known world from this famine, from this hunger. So what you meant for evil actually was for good. So recognizing that it's going to come and that God uses these things for our own good. And that's it's not because you did the wrong thing. It's not God getting payback. Then number two, specific to depression and anxiety. There is a, a portion of Christianity that's not going to like what I'm about to say. I recognize that. And if you want to yell at me or tell me how wrong I am, that's cool. And I mean that. You can tell me. I may not respond, but you can tell me at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, or find me on any of the social media sites. For that matter, you can call into the Anchor app. You can just go to Anchor, download it on your phone, call in, leave me a voicemail. But we have the 
scientific evidence, the sciences being of God. God gave us minds. God gave us intellects to go explore the world as part of the Genesis mandate to explore the world, learn of it, conquer it. Well, part of the sciences are the social sciences, and we have enough scientific evidence to demonstrate, well, there's something called depression. There are, there's chemical things that are going to cause some people to have a, an emotional floor that's below mine, that there's going to be a, a floor of emotions that's unhealthy, that's actually kind of a dangerous thing for them, that there is going to be some kind of chemical reality that some folks just have an, a level of anxiety, a level of worry that's debilitating. And it's, it's the same thing as my, like, if you don't know, my eyeballs are terrible. I can't see like anything uh, without my contacts in or without glasses on. But I would equate the two. The same way that I can't see without my glasses or without my contacts, the reality is there are some people that they cannot operate without the chemicals God has given us through medical science to even out things in their own emotions. Now, granted, we have to be careful with that. We have to be careful with that with any given substance. That's a reality for some people. We probably have too many people using them because we also have to recognize this about our emotions. Our emotions are information. It's information. It's data for us to analyze. And, and sometimes the emotion of dissatisfaction, sometimes the emotion of angst and instability or even sadness, these are good messages that the Lord has given us. The Holy Spirit is using emotions to give us a message, to move us along, to give us to make to get us to make some kind of decision to to move us more in the image of Christ. And sometimes there are people, because these emotions are so damaging, go ahead and deaden them. They deaden their emotions through some pills, and then this great good gift God has given us, which are even sometimes negative emotions, we deaden those. And so there's got to be some balance there, but then recognizing if you are one of those people who you really do have a, a chemical necessity because of a a condition of depression or anxiety, take your meds. Don't be ashamed of it. The same way I put contacts in my face every morning, take your pills. This is no, there's no shame in that at all. At the same time, for everybody thinking through those things, ask yourself, is, this, is my situation physiological or is my situation circumstantial? Are my circumstances making, this, making me this way? And if so, what are the ways in which I can change my circumstances? And sometimes it won't be your circumstances. Sometimes it will actually be physiological, but let us first check that which is circumstantial. So number one, don't be surprised by it. It's coming. You're not necessarily being punished by God with depression and anxiety. Recognize they are real sicknesses. And then the final thing we talked about was responses. Here's the first place I go to in my own depression. I don't think I've ever really struggled with any kind of anxiety, but I think a little depression. I mean, I was there in my early 20s. I could tell you the story. I wouldn't say I got close to walking away from the faith, but I will tell you I got close. I was very frustrated. And as I started to to think through what life would be like outside of the Christian philosophy, the Christian faith in regards to processing my own emotions and hurt and depression, I think I came to the place that Peter came to in the Gospels. If you recall the story, Jesus says something that freaks a lot of people out. Jesus says, you know, to follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
And a whole bunch of people go, okay, deuces, I'm out. We're not going to do that. We're not going to eat the guy and drink his blood. And a lot of people stop following Jesus. They leave. Peter's not happy with that. He actually feels the devastation of that rejection. People are leaving our movement. People are leaving the thing that we believe. And he goes to Jesus and he says, you, you know, this thing you said has freaked people out. You know, a lot of people are leaving. And Jesus' only response is to look at Peter and say, okay, but what about you? What are you going to do? And when I read that text, I know it wasn't directly to me, but it did feel like a question to me. All right, Corey, you're frustrated. All right, Corey, you're depressed. All right, Corey, you are questioning. I, let me ask you, what are you going to do? And I would echo what Peter said. Peter said to Jesus, only you have words of life. Where else would I go? And when you start thinking through all the other philosophies available to us in this secular world of ways to process suffering and the way to process things that are going wrong, you may not be often satisfied by the biblical explanation, but man, is it better than, let's say, secular humanism. And secular humanism, here's the purpose of your suffering. You're a big ball of chemical meat. You're floating around in space for no reason whatsoever, and there is no reason at all for your suffering. Nothing good's ever going to come of it. You're not going to be able to use it to help anybody else. You're just chemicals floating around in space. There's is you even go to karma. Well, it's karma. You know, you did the wrong thing at this time, and maybe you'll be able to even it out someday. There's no hope in that. There is in the Christian faith a way to make sense of suffering that nothing else and no one else offers. And then final, final couple points, responses. Responses when we have these depressions and anxieties, uh, some, some action steps. Uh, one of the ones I think we overlook too much is getting around people. It's one that gets overlooked and not valued highly enough. Uh, often depression and anxiety make you want to uh, be alone and isolated. That's the worst thing you can do. Uh, getting alone and isolated is going to make the problem worse. Uh, and so get around people, but not just any people. Don't surround yourself with poisonous people, with the folks that have all the wrong philosophies and ideas. Get around the right people. I know this sounds trite, but get into the Word. Uh, get around good preaching. You have the internet out there. Lots of good preaching to get into. Get around prayer. And then final thing, remember God's faithfulness. I mean, I again, just from a personal level, I can take you back to some dark days in my teens. I can take you to some dark time in my early 20s. And I look back on it now with a lot of clarity and see God's faithfulness to me so clear. And I think a lot of us have those memories. We have those times where it's really clear God was faithful to us. So remember those times of faithfulness as an anchor in the ground or anchor in the sea. As it gets tossed, as your boat is getting tossed, there is that anchor knowing God has been faithful before. And he who is good to start a work in us will be faithful to finish that work in us as well. When we come back, I'm going to start working through this list. You sent me a lot of things that you get annoyed by in American culture, like catchphrases. We'll work through them one by one when we come back for the remainder of the Corey Act Show. Hi there. Welcome back in. This one is going to be fun. This is so much better than talking about whatever Donald Trump, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Beto O'Rourke, Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell did over the, like the last week. This is so much more interesting than whatever's happening in Washington, D.C. I put out on Facebook, hi guys, 
I just want to talk about phrases, little catchphrases in the culture that get on your nerves. Go ahead and send them my way. And there's apparently a lot of bothersomeness out there. People were very bothered by things. And so I was going to organize these in some kind of pattern or category. Instead, I think it makes it more organic, more real, more genuine and authentic. And I know that's what you want. I'm just going to read them. Do it live from my Facebook page where those comments came. And the ones that interest me, I will stop. I will talk about and riff on a little bit. It'll be a good time. If you have feedback on these, you can find me on the show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for Corey Truax on any of those. If you haven't found, if you have not found me on those, I don't know why. It's very rude of you. You should definitely find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram if you have any of those. Um, and I've said this recently on a show, I think. You should subscribe to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. And you should do that because if you had a podcast, I'd subscribe to it because I'm a nice person. And so you should also subscribe to mine. All right, here we go. Number one, someone wrote in. This is Patrick. Patrick says he gets annoyed by, that's how I roll. Uh, yeah, I get it. I mean, if you're, that's something I think I would say. Uh, it's maybe that's just generational. That's how I roll. Uh, means that's how I do things. I'm okay with that one, actually. Uh, Jeremy is, oh, he's got two good ones in a row. Number one, you do you. You know, just you do you. That's just terrible advice. You know what I shouldn't do? <laughs> Me. <laughs> My natural inclination is terrible. Don't you do you. You do the right thing, whatever the right thing is. If you happen to do the right thing, you probably did it on accident. So yeah, you stop doing you. It's just one of those things. Be true to yourself. You know, be uh, be true to whoever you are and what you want. Well, what if what what if I'm super selfish? Don't do you. So yeah, I'm with Jeremy on that. That's terrible. Uh, he also wrote in with one. Just live your truth. Oh gosh. Anytime I hear your truth. It, I always have to roll my eyes because it's not just in this context of Jeremy here. I, I, I hear that with um, with some of the stuff that's come out about Joe Biden. Like, you, you got to tell your truth. Well, there isn't that. That doesn't exist. There's not your truth in mine. There's just the one. There's the thing that happened or didn't happen. There was a thing you said or you didn't say. There is no your truth. That's just postmodern nonsense, but that's the thing people say. You got to tell your truth. Live your truth. To which I say, yeah, if it's not the truth, I just don't care. I don't particularly care to know what your truth is. Uh, Becky wrote in to say, it is what it is. It gets on her nerves. It is what it is. Yeah, I guess I get that. Maybe I'm just a, re- I'm a realist. And so when someone says it is what it is, as long as they're accurate, I'm fine. Yeah, that's the situation we're in. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, Matt wrote in with be true to yourself. I think that goes right with what Jeremy said. Uh, Carson writes in with, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I'll tell you this. I do a lot. I have my day job in North Greenville University. I do the show. I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. I sing there. I teach there. I preach there. I get to go speak at different conferences and things as a function of this radio show. Uh, I don't know, maybe it would change if I did this full-time, but that resonates with me. If someone said, you're going to do broadcasting full-time, your job is to create three or four hours of content every day, whether that be the written word, the spoken word, or or on video, that's your job today and every day. Maybe I'd get tired of it, but boy, I tell you this, it doesn't feel like work. That sounds like a blast. And that's what I love. Uh, So I don't know. 
but you you chew that one over. I'll take your thoughts. If you find what you love, you can do what you love. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, Shakai wrote in with only God can judge me. That's true, and that should scare you to death. Eh, and it's also sort of guess not true. Yeah, I get to my nerves when people say that. Uh, that only God can judge me. Well, if you actually believe that, you should be trembling in your boots. You should be scared out of your wits. If only God can do it, He's gonna do it. That's terrifying. Second. Well, I can judge you, too. Like, let's say you wear, I don't know, orange shirt with yellow pants. I judge you. That's a terrible idea. Let's say you're an adulterer. I judge you. Don't do that. That's bad, right? So only God can judge you. Uh, So he'll ultimately judge you, and so that should make you change your behavior, and you should be super scared. But second, that's not true at all. We all judge each other all the time. It's just this really dumb thing that's basically, I can do what I want which is a very immature thing to say. Uh, this is what, like, I feel like my nieces and nephews would be saying at five or six. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, I don't think you've lived life yet. Uh, okay, next what? Uh, let's see, let's see. James says, uh, time heals all wounds. Ooh. Well, I've only had, like, three wounds in my life. Like, real deep emotional things. And I will tell you, time helps. I look back on the hurt of 17, 18, and 19 years old, and I mean this. I laugh at it. I actually laugh at, at how long I let things affect me. Like, what what kind of moron were you to let that affect you so deeply for so long? I, I don't know that time doesn't heal all wounds. Maybe time heals most wounds, and there's some kind of wound that time doesn't heal. But, man, it, sh- it sure does help. This is an illustration I've given on the show before. I'm going to do it again, because let's just pretend you don't remember everything I say. But one of the reasons time heals wounds is because you get more context in life. So I'll give me the example. I was in a little teeny bopper, wannabe, girlfriend-boyfriend relationship from the time I was 16 until I was almost 18. Let's say I really understood anything about life starting around 13 years old. Maybe, let's call it 10 years old. Well, if for two years of my life, from 10 to 18, like these are the years I really understood something going on around me. If for two years of my life... I gave to a person, and then that ends. Well, that's two, what, two out of ten? That's 20% of my life has been wasted, and 20% of my life is so terrible. And then it hurts for a couple years after that. So, like, this big chunk of my life, 25 33% of my life has been ruined. And then you live a little bit, you get a little older, you get a little context, and you recognize that was, like, 6% of my life. That wasn't that big of a deal. That's all good. And so, yeah, time heals all wounds. I don't actually disagree with that, except maybe the all thing. Maybe there is some wound that time does not heal. Uh, time does not heal. Uh, Beth writes in and says, follow your heart. Yeah, this is definitely a bad idea. Don't do that. Uh, you will follow it right off some kind of emotional cliff. Uh, you'll follow it right off some financial cliff. I know that I have followed my heart into some of the worst situations I've been in because I read somewhere, oh yeah, in the Bible, it's in Jeremiah, that my heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. This is a good lesson in life. No one lies to you more than you lie to you. And your heart will lie to you. It will tell you if you get this desire of your heart, you'll be happy. And your heart is kind of right, because you'll be happy for a minute, and then it'll stop making you happy. So yeah, that's a terrible one. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. It's a terrible idea. Uh, Next up, Daniel doesn't like it when people say, I know, right? 
I'll tell you, I'm okay with that. Um, I, don't, I just don't know why it would be a problem. Uh, Stacy says, follow your passion. Uh, I, I would just want a comma, like follow your passion, period. Yeah, that's a bad idea. Follow your passion, comma, wisely. Follow your follow your passion, comma, and get a job to pay your bills. Like you can follow your passion, take a shot at it. Like I would tell you, that's sort of what I'm doing. I sit here, I record this show. What's my passion? Well, my passion is making people smarter. My passion is making people more enlightened, but doing it in an entertaining way. That's my passion. I love it. I get to do it on stages. I get to do it at work sometimes. I get to do it in this microphone enlighten people, help them understand things and know things and do it in a way that's compelling and interesting. That's my passion. But I also haven't quit my job to do it. So yeah, follow your passion, comma, and take care of your affairs like an adult. Adam says, he doesn't like it when people say, God won't put more on you than you can handle. We've actually, I've done an entire, probably 15 or 20 minutes on this before. I won't do it right now. But that's a thing people say, right? God God will never give you more than you can handle. So this is false in two ways. One, literally everything is more than you can handle. Like in your flesh alone, without any grace from God, you can't handle the smallest trial in your life. Your ability to handle any kind of trial and turmoil is only by the grace of God. Even the smallest things are His grace. And so you always have more than you can handle, and God is good to gracefully help you through those things. But then second, yes, God will crush you if he needs to. The same way that a good father, same way a good parent will punish you to crush you when you need to be crushed, this is a good thing. Charles Spurgeon has one of my favorite quotes on this. That He, he said, I kiss the waves that drive me into the rock of ages. Get that vision in your head. The, this, this tumultuous water that's swallowing you up and beating you down, and it's beating you into this rock that will, though, save you. You'll be able to hide in the cleft of that rock from these waves. And Spurgeon says, I kiss the wave that drives me into the rock of ages. God will put more, more on you than you can handle, and he's good to do it to remind you you are not in of yourself okay. You are not alone. You're not well enough alone. You do need the grace of God. Adam also wrote, wrote in to say, uh, you know that this person, this dead, this deceased loved one, is looking down on you from heaven and is proud of you. That also gets on my nerves for two reasons, uh, maybe three. We'll see how many I can get to. But one, there is no theological evidence for that at all. There is this one thing in Hebrews that says there's a cloud of witnesses looking down. All right, a cloud of witnesses, but those witnesses are really that hall of faith. It's not specific to you. Second, is that what you want heaven to be for your loved one, you selfish person? I sure hope my grandma's watching me. I hope she's doing something better. Like, I don't want my grandparents watching me do this show as I sit here record it. That sounds like a terrible day for them. Heaven should be way better than that. And so, yeah, uh, this is not a this is not a good thing. They're not looking down on you from heaven. And why would that even help? Like, this is again that's a, that's a being gets getting approval from man and not approval from God. Um, Heath also wrote in and said, "Find your truth." We already talked about that one. Dustin says, "Ooh, Dustin's in trouble." 
Dustin says he doesn't like it when people say, I can't even. Now, this is a thing mostly millennial girls say, millennial women, will say, I can't even. And they don't finish the sentence. It's, I, I don't even know what they can't even do. But they just say, I can't even. I've also mocked this to say that I can't odd. All right, you get it opposite of even. Because I, I don't know what it means. It just became a cultural meme. It gets on my nerves too. But I also can't criticize it in a way from like a biblical perspective. Like, I don't think they're saying anything wrong. It's just super annoying to say. Uh, what else we got here from... Oh, yeah, I like this one from David. This is true. I mean, he's getting political, but this is true. Real socialism has never been tried. Like, if you get into a political conversation with an American political leftist, economic leftist, and you, you just cite the fact that throughout human history where socialism has been tried in European countries and in Asian countries, it has failed. It's led to slower growth or even digressions in economies. It's had no innovation. It's led to people not having enough food. Like, it's been bad for human flourishing. And they always say, we've never tried real socialism. No one's ever done it right. But if we'll do it, we'll do it right. Uh, which is an actual logical fallacy in the, in the logical fallacy world if you get into debate and things like that. It's called no true Scotsman. So the idea here being, uh, the, your your people, the Scotsmen, they did this terrible thing. And the response being, well, no, true Scotsmen would do that. So even if it was under my tribe, we're kicking them out. We're not responsible for them. So yeah, that's a good one from David. Uh, Beth says, uh, this is a different Beth, by the way, not the first Beth, says, if you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah, this gets on my nerves too. Uh, at my gym, there is some giant mural, and it says something like, if the mind can think it or if the mind can envision it, the body can do it. And every time I walk into the gym, I look at it and go, no, like I can't dunk. And I can envision it. Like I can imagine myself dunking. It would be super cool. I can't do it. That's not how my muscles are made. And I'm in pretty good condition. I can jump okay. I will never be able to dunk. So no, if you can dream it, you can't like, I, this. how about this? Technically, I have been eligible for the NFL draft since I was 21 years old. I'm now 33. I'm still undrafted. I have dreamt it. I could have never done it. Some of us just, that's not how life works. So, yeah, it's a really immature thing to say. Um, Jonathan says on the Facebook feed, one that also gets on my nerves just because it's grammatical, when people say, I could care less, it's hard for me not to stop and go, you know that means you care, though, right? Like, I could care less means I have some margin by which uh, I could actually do some less caring, which means you actually have some care. When you, What you mean to say is you couldn't possibly care less. Um, I like Connor. Connor on this one on the Facebook Live. It's not Facebook Live. But on the Facebook feed says, uh, so I did a thing. I get annoyed by this too, but again, this is very millennial and very Gen Z, very Generation Z. When, like, I, I saw this... Two people that I really respect, they are college students I know, they're both seniors, they got engaged recently, it was beautiful, it was sweet, it was awesome. But both of them on social media, oh no, one of them on social media, said, so I did a thing, I did a thing, and she showed her ring. I, I, people get a tattoo, I did a thing. They get a new dog, and it's, I did a thing. I don't know where that came from, I know I find it obnoxious. Maybe because it's so vague. I did a thing. 
Well, why don't you just tell me what you did? Did you get engaged? Did you get a dog? Did you get a tattoo? I don't know why. Um, okay, how about this? Uh, Patrick, again, on the Facebook Live. Not the Facebook feed says, it's not rocket science. Uh, okay, I can see that. It's just sarcasm, although I do love sarcasm. That's just old sarcasm, and so I'm not a fan of it. Um, Tim on Tim Timothy on the Facebook feed says, haters gonna hate. Oh, yeah, I mean, listen, I talk like this sometimes, almost, uh, not almost, exclusively out of irony. Ironically, I will say things like, haters gonna hate. Because of all the white people you know, I'm the whitest. And so that's a weird thing for a guy like me to say, so I say it to be funny. But yeah, generally, I'm not a fan, a fan of that either. Haters gonna hate. I have a couple more of these I want to do when we come back from this break. Maybe we'll do something a little more serious after that. I don't want to, though. We might do a little, a little bit more serious stuff before we move on to sports with Heath. Uh, so come back for more of these American phrases that annoy the listenership, and I will continue to respond to them when we return for the remainder of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the final segment of the Corey Act Show. It is my impression that there will be enough of these comments left from this Facebook feed to get me through the entire show. So thank you to all of you who particip- participated and allowed me to be a lazy lout and get through this show based totally on your input. We're going through this Facebook list of, I asked for people, what are those things people say that really annoy you? And I'm just responding to those as we go. You can find this on demand on uh, where can you get it? iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Pocket Cast, Overcast, everywhere podcasts are distributed. My show is there. And I do mean this. I don't think I say this seriously enough. When you rate the show, like you, there's on all those apps, there's a way you can give it a five-star rating or a four-star rating where you can write a review. I do mean this. It helps. It helps my show show up in the algorithms of other shows. So when you're looking out of the podcast world and like someone's listening to Matt Walsh, it's more likely at the bottom of that feed it will say, if you like Matt Walsh, you might like the Corey Truax show. So the more you do that, the faster this can grow. And I will be, I mean this man, uh, or, or young lady, whoever's listening, that would mean a lot to me. And it helps a lot when you do that, when you review it and write a review and rate it. Anyway, we got to get back to work here. Uh, Tim also writes on the Facebook live feed of phrases that we want responded to that get on their nerves is you can't love others until you learn to love yourself. I have also found this to be annoying, but I don't know. It feels like there's some, some kind of truth to it. I contrast that to Ephesians 5. It's like 28, 29, somewhere in there. Um, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And there's this idea here that it's natural for humankind, even the people that say they're in self-loathing, do actually have often a lot of high, they're high self-esteem. They're, they care about themselves a lot. But also, I, I don't know. I just don't know that's true. Uh, you can express love towards others. I guess without having a high self-esteem, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's either meaningless or outright wrong. Uh, Bethany says on the Facebook feed there, not my circus, not my monkeys. Um, yeah, I can see why that annoys people. It's just a passing of responsibility. It's saying, what's going on here is not my circus. The people involved here are not my monkeys, so I'm not going to get involved. I'm a guy who 
uh, tries to stay out of everyone else's business. And so I, I, it seems like something I would say, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. But yeah, I can see why that'd be annoying because if we, if we have a, if we have a crisis of, of, of anything in the country, one of the, one of the categories would be responsibility. People don't take responsibility for what they should. Uh, what else is next here? Uh, Sam Samuel says on the Facebook feed, and just like that, so yeah, in, st- in storytelling, it does get on my nerves a little bit uh, because typically that story was very long, and they end it with, and just like that, and I want to say, it wasn't just like that. Like, your story was super long. Uh, so there was that one. Um, Hannah writes in and says, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, this gets on my nerves too. It's incredible how many people think that's in the Bible. Um, God helps those whom he will. God helps those who he ordains that he's going to help. Uh, that is not a biblical thing, that God helps those who helps themselves. I would actually ask you to find that in Scripture at all. I mean, God calls people just out of straight-up paganism in the Old Testament. They weren't doing anything to help themselves. Paul was specifically hurting Christians, and he called Paul to do ministry. So Paul wasn't doing anything to help himself. Yeah, so that's just a totally unbiblical thing. And also writes in with, you're allowed to be angry, or you're allowed to be selfish, or you're not you're not required to forgive that person right now. Uh, so yeah, I will admit, I think in my younger years I would have said this to someone in council, like, you know, right now you don't have to do this right thing. Uh, and so, but it is this very self-centered thing where you're, you're allowed to feel how you feel no matter how it affects someone else. Crystal writes in with one I've talked about before, you only live once, um, or YOLO. I, I don't like it for several reasons. Uh, one, it's grammatically incorrect. It's you live only once because your your modifier only is in the wrong place. So it actually should not be YOLO. It should be Y-L-O-O, so you'll maybe. Uh, but yeah, you only live once is not true exactly. It should actually you live forever. You are whoever you are right now, redeemed or unredeemed. You are uh, you are a being, spirit and body that is going to go on for all of eternity. So yeah, you don't just live once, and it's usually used as an excuse to go do something stupid. Uh, how about this one? You are the artist of your own life. Don't give the paintbrush to anyone else. While I actually would advise, no, don't get it. Don't give anyone else the power, the meaning to give you meaning. Don't give anyone else the ability and the power to give you a, a purpose. Uh, if you're the artist of your own life, you're probably going to mess it up. You're not going to color in the lines all that well. Your colors aren't going to match. Uh, so, yeah, that's not a good one either. Uh, there was another one from Jessica here near the... Uh, got to find it here in the bottom of the page. Oh, yeah, this one just blew my mind. You are the sun in your solar system. You, uh, everyone revolves, ro- rotates around you. You do not rotate around them. Again, there's some like one kernel of truth there where, yeah, you shouldn't allow yourself to be dominated by everyone else's whims. You don't need to set your schedule around everyone else. But also, you're not the center of the universe. The universe is going to implode if it's based on you. You are not a worthwhile thing to, to have the entire universe revolve around. Ashland writes in with a funny one. Again, this is just millennial Gen Z talk. She calls it that blank life, though. So, like, I'm a I'm a big guy. I'm a guy in the gym. I might say, you know, that workout life, though. So, like, my, I'm, my shoulders are sore right now. You know, that workout life, though. Or my voice gets sore, you know, and it's, you know, that broadcasting life, though. That's, again, just something young people say. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of annoying. Uh, Terry writes in with, it doesn't matter who you love. 
as long as you love them with all your heart. I think a lot of us, if it's not from our own personal lives, just from looking at lives around us, it does matter who you love. It can also often wreck you who you love. Guys, that was fun. Thanks for writing in with all of those. I highly appreciate it. Share the show with others. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me, Corey Truax. It's another way to share the show with others so they can have fun along with us. We'll have more serious stuff next week. For now, let's do sports. Are you the triumphant return of our sports segment. We do that with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. You went to the Clemson spring game. Yes, I did. And I would love to get, well, I'm going to give you a rundown of things. You just give me your comments. Okay. I always want to start with the defensive line. Good football starts on the line of scrimmage. The the Clemson defensive line has been dominant forever. Who impressed you? It's still going to be dominant. Okay, good. It's it's ridiculous, the talent. Uh, Obviously, you know, Xavier Thomas is there. But then you've got KJ Henry is there. You've got Maskell is there. I mean, you've got all these guys. Rudolph is. I mean, they are mm-hmm. just insane. Skalski's behind them at linebacker, who is very. I don't know why nobody's talking about Skalski, but I think the linebackers this year are two, three times more athletic than they were last year. Now we've always had smart linebacker yes. play, but Bowers not you know a superior athlete. He was not. Trey Lamar was six four. You know pounder but yep. not a superior athlete these guys are athletic they're fast they're quick and they they i mean i'm telling you they are if they could have hit the quarterbacks yesterday it would have been it's unbelievable been yeah that you could tell they wanted to hit them of course they couldn't but they're headhunters man it's, it's awesome i had a coach i think at north greenville once say to me that their rule is if you can do their job you can hit them yep so if you can't spin it like that you can't hit them right right and so linebackers don't hit the quarterbacks yeah so on that uh that that defensive line the who's number three? That's supposed to be the biggest deal, Xavier or something. Xavier Thomas. He, he did he play? Yeah, he played, and he made a good impression. Oh yeah, I mean he's nobody can touch him off the line. He's so fast, so quick. On and, those on those linebackers. This is we watch every Clemson game together, right? Anytime I see a play tries to go wide, tosses, jet sweeps, and yep. it's like, did you know? Like, why did you think that was gonna work? It's still not gonna work. You can't outrun these guys. It's still not gonna work. Too much team speed, right? Uh, so after the defensive line, the offensive line has feels like a lot of depth. There's like a ten or eleven players or scholarship. Yeah, the offensive line looked really. The hard thing in the spring game is you can't really judge the offensive line because they're split. Right. They're not ones against the twos. There's someone, someone's you know interspersed with some twos. But all in all, he did a good job. But I mean, th- that's the difference between Clemson's spring game. It's an actual scrimmage where they are blitzing. I mean, ESPN talked about it. This is not a regular spring game where the guys don't blitz. You know, you don't barely touch anything. It's all about the offense. That is not true of Clemson. Well, they've built that program on a lot of things, but one of the calling cards is we well, are a dominant defense. Right. You gotta go, you gotta let them go live. They're still gonna be dominant. Did um did I understand in the secondary did number ten is it Darian Kendrick? Darian Kendrick is not number he changed his number to number one. Okay. Because um Engada from California, the wide receiver is number ten now. Okay. But look, this guy's unbelievable. He looks like Kendrick or not and Gata? Yeah, Darian Kendrick. Well, both of them. Yeah. I haven't gotten to the wide receivers yet. Right. I was going to go there in the end. Oh, it's insane. Anyways, Darian Kendrick is. Did he play corner? He played corner the whole time. He kicked return too. Okay. But if he's not a lockdown corner, I'll give you $5 this year. I uh, would be very surprised if they can turn him into a corner. That's a spot needed to be filled. Because he, he did play corner in high school. Of course, <laughs> quarterback, you know, and all this other stuff. Okay. But my understanding was he was in practice and a couple of the corners got tweaked a little bit on injuries and Dabo said hey get over there and Venables is probably not going to let him go right now he's a starter at corner well 
you've got some talent at wide receiver, okay? Uh, let's be honest. If there's a place you can remove a wide receiver and put him some, uh, somewhere else, if there's a player you can remove yes. from a position and put him somewhere else, it's wide receiver. This is where, if I am a wide receiver trying to play behind, uh, I know that Amari Rodgers is hurt, but Amari Rodgers and uh, all those guys, not a, the guy that called Not a Frank Ladson, Justin, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. T. Higgins. I go, I just want to play. Can I? Yeah. If I can go play defense and you're going to let me play, I want in. And he's not just filling a spot. Yeah. He has the potential to be all-conference and eventually all-American at this spot. So he's he was, ridiculously good. He wasn't Ray Ray McLeod level corner? No. You remember I mean, when he tried it? Yeah. Oh, this boy. is Mackenzie Alexander level. I'm, I love I'm telling that. you, he is fantastic. There's a lot of money to be made covering wide receivers. Yeah. And if he can do that professionally, that's oh, like... Oh, if he didn't go to the draft as a corner, I'd be surprised. I love that. I love to see that for him. Right. Uh, so then over to the offensive side of the ball... Chase Bryce and Trevor Lawrence didn't surprise you, I would imagine. I mean, I didn't watch any of the game. Yep. Did they look sharp? No, they look great. Um, Chase Bryce looked really good. Of course, he had a few more weapons than Lawrence did. Okay. And, uh, I mean, Lawrence is what he is. There's nothing he needs to prove. Um, you know, you saw everything you see last season, especially against Alabama. The, the guy's fantastic. But Chase Bryce has a firm hold on the number two. Now, Batson can run. He, he looked pretty good. Uh, Fomashan from Connecticut. Oh, yeah. That is yeah. a – Big kid with a big arm. I mean, he can sling it. So, um, plus DJ Ugalele, number one quarterback in the country, was there from California. You know, we may have another another thing where if he signs, a couple guys may leave. I don't know, but wide receiver and quarterback is not an issue for Clemson at this moment. Yeah, for the wide receivers, I did see there was one headline on my Facebook feed that um, Justin Ross with another circus catch. Oh, it's unbelievable. He went over the defender, one-handed it, rolled across the ground, still had his hand, stood up and handed the ball to the ref. I mean, it was just like the Alabama game. That's incredible. He went over him, grabbed it in front of him with one hand, and just held it up in the air and fell down and got tackled and all this stuff. Word to parents who have students playing sports. This is why you want two sport athletes. Yep. You learn that from basketball. You do. That's a basketball skill yeah. that he just takes to the football field, and it's incredible. And T. Higgins and Justin Ross can jump out of the gym. I yes. mean, you've seen some of their basketball highlights. It's ridiculous. This is uh, – I, I thought the same thing about Russell Wilson. Yep. His baseball came into play. Yeah. It's happened across a lot of sports. When you let guys play a bunch of sports, they end up gaining some skills they otherwise wouldn't have if you made them focus. Yeah, you can integrate all the skills you learn from a different sport into the sport you're playing. Is uh, you know I don't know why more people don't do that. Like I know you want to concentrate on I'm a basketball player or I'm a football player, but in high school it doesn't matter. Play whatever you can is available to you. Yeah. Well, track will tell you how to run. That's right. Right. I mean, look at all the football players that that run track in the summer yeah. just to stay in shape and all that stuff. Soccer will make you conditioned. Right. Right. Basketball teaches you better body balance. Yeah. That's the thing that always blew my mind about you when you play basketball, but also Justin Ross's football player. There is something about center of gravity. Yeah. That oh, it's learn. a real deal. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't learn that in football, I don't think. I think you learn it more in basketball. You do. And the funny thing about me when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, my, my dad will Hey, you want to play basketball? I'm like, sure. What the story is, I would get destroyed trying to do a layup and, you know, flipped over the fence and yep. knocked on the asphalt and all that stuff. Like, and Dad, I'd, get, I'd, get, I'd get mad as a kid. And he'd say, look, boy, when you play real basketball and somebody hits you, you're going to know how to handle it. And it really did work. It did work. It, it did work. Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen you spun. Because nobody in high school hit me yeah, as hard as my dad did. Yeah, yeah But I've seen you <laughs> spun in midair, yep. but control the body. Yep. I saw Justin Ross do that yeah. throughout the season. I saw T. Higgins do it. In the air, something throws off the balance, but they're fine. Yep. And basketball teaches you that. And a lot of that is you initiating the contact because the sure. other guy's not expecting it. Sure. Now, they're expecting to hit you, but if you initiate the contact, that's yep. an advantage unto yourself. Two more questions about that spring game. One, did Travis Etienne play? 
He did, but it was sparingly. They okay. don't they don't really need him to do anything. All right, he's going to save him. In the spring game, yeah. And then lastly, just tell me about the atmosphere, uh, because when you've just won a national championship, your spring game is supposed to be a big deal. Listen, this was the most people I've ever seen in a spring game. There were 60,000-plus. The Incredible. entire bowl was full, the lower bowl. The hill was full. There were people um, getting up into the upper deck. Even ESPN talked about it. It was just insane. Plus, if there is a better position group in the country than Clemson's wide receivers – I don't know what it is. Just like the the D line last year, they have the best position group, and it's the wide receivers this year. There is no question about and you that. You could even probably throw the quarterbacks into that conversation as well. Oh yeah, if you, um, I feel like I could complete some passes to those wide receivers. You probably yeah. could because basically, terrible. if you can just get it in the air in their general direction, they're probably going to make yeah. a play on it. Uh, we don't want to leave out our friends to the south because I actually don't. I actually like I like when both teams are good in the state. So I like when South Carolina goes well. Right. Uh, they don't seem to have a quarterback for sure yet. For right. the spring game is what I noticed. And then the numbers yeah, the, who showed up was uh, more of a big issue. The numbers for the spring game were not good, which that's not the football teams. I know, you know, they're in a transition period. They're trying to increase wins and, you know, find out who they are. But really the support of the fans kind of helps in that regard. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship to me. Yeah. Like if you don't have the fan support, the players aren't going to, you know, go out of their way to – you know what I mean? Yes. It's kind of hard to explain, but – I was disappointed in the turnout for the Carolina spring game. I was. I did just look up their stats, and the, when I said there's not a quarterback, I just – I don't know. I just keep forgetting that Jake Bitley's well, there because he underperforms. But he's back, apparently. He's there, but they have the kid from Washington, too, okay. who came all the way, you know, to South Carolina to play. So, we'll see. I don't think they know really yet who that, the starter is. That has been – I hate to be a jerk. I actually think South Carolina's roster is pretty good. Yeah. On defense, when you look at it, they're pretty strong. And they have been for a couple years. That quarterback position on paper, you look at Bentley like, oh, he's going to be great. Right. And then he puts on a helmet. Right. And goes out and you go, what What happened? He has flashes of good games. He sure does, But man. he's so inconsistent. Yeah. And they keep riding with Bentley. And I don't know, maybe this new kid will knock him. I don't know. Did, did you mean to say riding with Bentley? Because that's a car. Right, yeah. That was I, awesome. Right. You see what I did there? That was broadcasting <laughs> brilliance right there. And we will leave it there because that's a high note. Thanks for coming in and doing sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.